Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have an amazing guest in Mr. Elias Weiner, who is the founder and president of the Boa Vita Group. Before we dive in, I want to ask you a real quick favor. Would you mind uh, taking an extra 30 seconds and heading over to iTunes to rate this podcast with five stars? This helps, it helps, it helps us get more listeners, and it means the absolute world to me. So thanks for making my day with that five-star review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Elias is the founder and president of the Boa Vita Group. Uh, the Boa Vita Group is a mobile home park and RV park a real estate investment company that owns and operates 165 properties with more than 20,000 spaces. He is the 10th largest owner and operator of manufactured housing communities in the country and the largest owner his age. Elias, we are excited to welcome you to the show. I do apologize. Every once in a while, there's a cutting, cutting out because I'm in Mexico right now. And, um, you know, it's kind of a typical operation over here. So sometimes... Uh, things work and sometimes they don't. But um, I used to say for fun, uh, you know, l- largest operator my age, but I, I don't know if that's true anymore. So, um, but, the, the, but, you know, it's, uh, it's weighted, uh, it's weighted in favor since, since it is, is kind of, a, originally it was kind of an old person's business, but now, now you got all these young dudes getting into it. In fact, um, I was uh, spending time with some of the new brokers in the business and they're all young dudes now, and and, and that's uh, that's a big change from what it used to be. You know, it used to be all the brokers were, uh, you know, a young broker would be a sixty-year-old broker, but now you got these, you know, twenty-six-year-old dudes, you know, full of testosterone, out there hustling, trying to trying to find you deals. So it's it's definitely changed. So and 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 probably for the good, and it's a it's a it's a lot of fun too. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely uh, stirring up some deals that that otherwise would uh, wouldn't be. But but Elias, I'm excited to just learn about your your career. Would you mind starting out by just telling us about your story and how in the world you got into manufactured housing in the first place? Yeah. So, but first, I, I want to know how long you've been doing this podcast. Tell me a little bit about this. Yeah. So I started this in March of 2020, right when the shutdown happened for COVID. So this was my COVID side projects. You know, I was, you know, quarantined, if you will, and started doing this podcast. And it's just been tremendous. I've, I've met a ton of operators and I've learned a lot. I think the biggest value I've taken away is I've learned a lot about, you know, just mobile home parks in general. And I have a lot of contacts now that I can ask questions on if they're, you know, their specialty is different than mine. So, yeah. And, and what's your rundown? You, you've been buying parks for how long? About seven years. So yeah, not as long as you. Yeah, I started when I was two years old. <laughs> so I'm only I'm only 24 now. Okay. Yeah. So no, I um, uh, yeah, I started about 22 years ago. Yeah, I bought my first park in Northern California for three hundred thousand dollars. I got a sixty thousand dollar loan. Seller wow. financed the rest and uh, basically brought a bunch of used homes in a drug park, cleaned out the drug park, tripled the value, refinanced it, didn't know what I was doing. And then rinsed and repeat, went, went and bought another park up in Eureka, did the same thing. But then I didn't have um, 
uh, actually that same, that my very first park, I still own it. And I refinanced it again for 1.2 million a few years after that. And I don't, I'm, you know, not too sure what it's worth today, but it just still keeps paying out. So, uh, you know, we have a buy and hold strategy, you know, we're, um, we're allergic to sell every once in a while I'll sell something, but I get a rash. So <laughs> I, I train, I, I'm allergic to it. Um, so I try not to sell. That's, but, uh, that's my strategy as well. Yeah. My, my father was a timber guy and he was a, he was a, in the, in the timber business. And then from the timber business, he, he would be in the land business and then he'd have land he would subdivide. So he'd buy 10 homes from a mobile home dealer at a time, put it on the land that would help sell the land. So then he realized, okay, if I've got a, if I've got a dealership, I can get the homes for cheaper. Then I got a bunch of people looking at the cool homes and they don't have land. So then he'd sell them land. So mm-hmm. when I was going to UC Davis, uh, I always worked for him construction and stuff. But when I was going to Davis, I was running out of money and there was a mobile home park. Actually, I was working at Denny's. So first month I was a, I was a, um, I was a bus boy. Second month I was a server. Third month I was the night manager. And after that, um, the gal that ran the place, I don't know. I don't like the way it was, it was going. So I had to get out of there. But uh, I told my dad while I was working at Denny's, he actually laughed at me. And then um, I thought it was a good job because, you know, you, to, to, you could go in there and cook yourself up some, some popcorn shrimp uh, after a night of having fun. Um, uh, you know, so it was a good place as a college student to get some free food. Sure. Uh, but we, <laughs> there, was a old, there was a park there in Davis that had vacancies in a market that never should have any vacancies. So there was this pink home that was sitting there for a year never been lived in it was like peach on the outside like weird peach carpets that the the this lady that was awesome that she ordered the home but she just did a bad job picking colors they weren't able to sell it so my dad said well we're not going to bring any homes in this park so anyway he suggested that there's a park here that, that they want us to bring homes into and sell homes so on the dealership side of the business so we went and checked it out and he didn't want to do anything because they couldn't sell that home so my dad was never a teacher, you know, he, he never had the patience for that, but I would always, everyone in his real estate office, I would just sit there and even the chain smokers and stuff, I would just try to absorb everything I could from them. And what I would do is, yeah, so any, any little nuggets I could get from them, but they taught me how to sell. So I went and placed an ad in, in Davis, uh, how much down, how much a month, you know, two bedroom, two bath, and the phone started bouncing off the table. And I sold that home really quick. So anyway, that summer, I basically sold like 12 homes. I went over to the apartment complex that I lived in, in South Davis. And I, you're not supposed to do this, but I put all these notices up on each, each everyone's uh, door. said, why rent when you can buy? <laughs> and uh, with my phone number. And I sold like 12 homes that way over the summer. And the guy that managed the place, he came over. He's like, you can't do this. But he was kind of a a different character too. So he kind of let me get away with it. That was, that was my first kind of, and and I sold the home so fast that we weren't selling for the right price. We weren't making what we thought we were supposed to make. And my dad was trying to figure out the land home business as, and I didn't have the resources. So I went out and bought a truck and learned how to set the homes up with crawling underneath the homes, putting them together, doing so doing everything wrong. (laughs) So I had to, you know, get my own construction crew and stuff like that. 
And, you know, kind of fast forward the story, I ended up starting my own company in uh, with an old partner in the Bay Area because the Bay Area business, the uh, San Francisco Bay Area business was a different business. You go and buy a home for $40,000, you take that home, throw it away. And you go buy a brand new home from the factory for 40,000, put that in the space, but you would have a storage agreement for the lot. Today, those same parks are probably $2,500 space rents. Back then they were 650 space rents. Jeez. So then, that, yeah. And so uh, spend 20,000 fixing the home up or, or setting it up and then you'd sell it for 150. So you're flipping homes. In parks. Yeah. yeah in, in Bay Area parks. So um, that was a uh, uh, that was a good business, but it was very capital intensive business. And then, then all those homes we were throwing away, we ended up taking up to that park in uh, northern in Oroville, California, and filling up that park with those nice used homes. So that was uh, that was kind of the first. The yeah, I think it was I don't know what year what the, the I bought the first park was two thousand one maybe. Um, wow. And then, yeah, then 2000, yeah, 2007, eight came along. We started figuring out how to raise money uh, with investors and started exploring outside of California and just kept, kept going. And now actually we're, we're at, uh, I think 176, 176 properties, about 23,000 spaces. And, wow. and we probably have, uh, we, you know, this year we've probably closed, um, I don't know, uh, well over hundred million, maybe 150 million of deals. And we put, we have about another hundred million under contract. So wow. that is amazing. I mean, that is really cool. I mean, so there seems to be like a huge jump from your first park into raising money. Um, and, and I mean, maybe you could just tell me, you know, where I'm at, I'm doing individual syndications. Are you doing like a fund for your? Yeah. So we, we used to do that. I did that all the way till 2018. Uh, and the challenge was, uh, what, what, what happened is we don't sell, we refinance. So we, we'll go in there, solve the problems, increase the value and then refinance and get all the money back first to the investor. And, and what we do is we don't charge any acquisition fees, disposition fees, asset management fees, I'm not a big fan of the fees. I understand why why people do them, um, uh, but the incentives are bad. You know, you're incentivized to buy stuff and to sell stuff, not to solve real problems and create real value and hold forever. But because of that, in 2018, there were just too many refis and too too many people that needed wanted to, you know, they were getting money back and they wanted to put it back in with me. So my money kept getting bumped. So 2017, 2018, I wasn't able to put my money to work as much as I could. I mean, I, there was plenty of home run deals that I didn't put a dime into that I wanted to, mm. uh, but investors didn't want me to. You know, most syndicators, they want the syndicator to put money in. That, that's not typical for me. So uh, because we have a really good track record. So what I decided to do was basically use my money to build a team that could source deals all over the country and get more comfortable with all these other markets. So when we did that, you know, that kind of opened up to, to, okay, so now we can have the deal flow, but let's, but the, the other issue is if, if you're making money on a quarterly basis, and then you're having all these random, you know, every quarter now there's, now it's several refinances. 
So I like to call them you're harvesting these properties. And um, so we, what we wanted when I, when I spoke with a lot of investors was a vehicle where we could put our money in throughout the year as we got money. So I opened up a fund that's pretty much open from like April to the end of the year that people can just you know plug their profits into and invite their friends and and then you know hopefully we can we, you know we'll look at a thousand deals see if we can find 20 or 30 deals that make sense and uh the other thing that the fund does is on the more risky deals like the rv parks the high-end destination rv parks or the big fixer uppers that are we got to completely renovate the park kick out you know they, just major cleanup parks. Sure. So those are higher risk, but maybe you would refinance them in year two, a year three or something like that. I was only letting the investors that had more money in those deals because they're more risk. There's more volatility, you know, especially with the RV. We don't know, you know, with the, the, you're not as safe with the four cycles of the economy in an RV park as you are with a mobile home park. It's just really that simple. So but if you do a fund and you have, you know, 30 parks you buy and you have two high-end RV parks in there, then that's fine. You, day one, you walk, walk into awesome cash flow, but you are going to have that volatility that you're not going to have on that beautiful, you know, four-star, uh, four-and-a-half cap deal, you know, institutional deal. That, 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 but, you know, so you have this combination of deals and it, it really kind of works out good where we can... Um, and get a balance uh, and hit the returns. Yeah. 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 A good balance across the portfolio. Yeah. That is really cool. That's a, that's a great idea. A lot of people are getting into parks right now, right? It's like, they're the, the hot girl at the dance. What do you think is like the toughest hurdle for operators getting into the space? Well, I don't think it's, I don't think it's raising money. There's a lot of finance people. There's a lot of finance people that get into the business and they're not real estate people. Mm. So like I'll lose a deal because I'll underwrite uh, uh, filling up a, a park with a bunch of vacancy. I'll underwrite 25 homes a year, 24 homes a year. Right. So, you know, I have a thousand homes on order from the factories right now. Right. I'm, I'm probably huh. top five in home orders in the country. So if you find that someone's underwriting, bringing in 90 homes in a year, like eh, they're probably not you know, they probably don't understand how that works, especially in today's world. But I've lost, I've literally, you know, had people outbid me by a million dollars on deals because they're underwriting it right like that. So, so I think that it's tough because like, like, like Charlie Munger says, invest in a business that an idiot can run because at some point an idiot will run it. (laughs) Well, that's the beauty about this business. It's, you know, we think that we're really good operators. And, and because we, we started in the, the mobile home dealership side of the business, we think we can really do a good job underwriting these. You know, we understand like dealing with contractors and how long things take. Um, and, the, the, you know, so to properly underwrite solving those problems. Um, but I bought from other syndicators and they've made a huge profit and they did a terrible job. Right. (laughs) So, but they still made money because their supply and demand is so much in our favor. And it's kind of almost like a sad thing because if we could build more parks, if, if affordable housing was, if the government would get out of our way and we, you know, with the permits and fees and it just doesn't pencil, 
then we could just add more housing and and maybe our rents wouldn't go up as much, but that's that'd be okay because we could build more and there'd be more opportunity there. But so supply and demand so much in our favor in this business that you can you can be kind of a, an idiot and still make money. So, <laughs> which, yeah, it's that's yeah. true. Yeah, I love but, Charlie. Love him in so Warren's I don't book. have a whole lot of advice, except for, you know, the more that you can get involved in the beginning on like how the dealership side of the business business works. I've got I've got a guy, Chris Lemos, that works for me. He is a rock star. And when he came to work for me, he was willing to do anything I asked to get in the mobile home business. I mean, he he, he did the research, young guy, hardworking, great work ethic. And he wanted to figure out how he could, you know, who he could team up with to, to get in the business. And so I had him do mobile home sales. So the sales side of the business, and, and now he runs our sales division and our, so we have a three person titling team for do home titles. Um, we've got, he's, he's on these weekly meetings with onsite managers, regional managers, just, you know, making sure that, cause, cause the only reason that you're not selling a home because if there's a home, if there's a vacant space, there's nothing there. That's the difference from a, a vacancy in an apartment. You can, if you would let someone be in a tent on your space, then you could fill it. So you just have to get the home there, get it moving ready, you know, and then if it's not selling, it's your fault, right? And there's always, it's always something really silly, really stupid. You know, the marketing isn't hitting it like it's, it's getting ghosted or, you know, there's always something that's, that if you ask enough questions, you figure it out. And then all of a sudden it sells, you know, or it leases up. So, but, you know, he's responsible for, you know, uh, having a thousand homes on order. And I mean, our, I don't know where our monthly sales is, but it's a big number. Thousand homes on order. That's insane. Tell me about your organization. Tell me what else, what other team members you have to run that type of, you know, property management company. I, I take it you manage all in-house, right? Yeah, mostly. Uh, we use two other, so of 176 properties, we, there's, I want to say 26 of them that we third party. We also work with um, M. Shapiro and Truebuilt. Uh, they've done a great job for us in specific areas that they're kind of, they specialize in. Mm. Uh, so that's, um, uh, so we don't really have an ego about that. If, if, you know, M. Shapiro is just going to be have better relationships than us in Michigan, you know? Yeah. But basically we, you know, we've got, uh, we've got team uh, kind of zone leaders that, that uh, work with all of our, our regional managers across the country. And then we have, you know, and I've got an open door policy. I'm available to, to, to anybody at any time. I don't know if you notice or not, but people sometimes say they can't believe how easy it is to find me. Uh, I think my wife was complaining about that though. Um, <laughs> we've got like our acquisition team. We've got a great guy running that, but we've got about a, it's a, well, it's a three, it's a, I guess it's a four person acquisition team. And we've got, uh, we've got two full-time loan kind of gr just great loan people. All they do is refinance and acquisition loans. Jeez. I mean, if you can imagine, <laughs> you know, we're, we're refinancing, you know, 10 parks a year or more. Wow. That's awesome, man. That is so cool. Um, how has your mobile home park investing strategy changed over your years in the business? You know, maybe what did those initial parks look like? And then, 
you know, has it changed at all? Are you still buying the same quality, the same size, that kind of stuff today? Well, I, I'm trying, I, I, I've been buying a lot more bigger, nicer stuff. And, um, uh, but at the same time, if it's not available, then it, it kind of depends because when you look at your team, you don't, what you don't want to do is go buy uh, a big construction project in a place you have no resources. That'll put you in a lot of trouble. I see other people doing that. And I, and, and I make the joke that, oh, okay, there's a park I'm going to be able to buy in like five years. <laughs> but, you know, and, and I'm kind of kidding, but I'm kind of like, because I know the pains of the, uh, the development side or, or the, or the recondition, you know, the renovation of these, these parks and how, how wrong you can be on, on your underwriting and, and, you know, there's no like cost controls right now. I mean, <laughs> tell me you, you know, yeah. Tell me you underwrite something today and, and it's going to be like that. And I, you know, it just, you have very little control. So, yeah. but if you see a team member or a regional manager and they're crushing it in their state or their, they've got seven to 10 properties and, and it's just like smooth and they're just succeeding and they're ready to, and you, and then there's an opportunity in that area, you know, or maybe it's a, it's a big fixer upper that, that you think they can handle. Um, so we look at it like that. So, which is nice with the fun because you can, you can just kind of mix up different types of properties, you know, that, um, mm -hmm. so, so we'll, we'll buy a two star park and turn it into two and a half star park. Like that's the best it'll ever be. It'll get repaved. It'll get painted it'll get you know some some tougher cleanup notices but it's a trailer park sure and then um and then uh we have mobile home parks we have really nice mobile home parks and then we have really awesome manufacturing home communities but if we can go in and make it cleaner and safer and uh you know give the, the residents value and and uh also create value for our investors and then we do the deal so we're, we're not we're not checking because i i have no intention of ever going public or anything like that so it's not um it doesn't have to look a certain way. Sure. So, so I would say that my investment strategy, it hasn't changed as much as my resources. My resources have changed so that may, maybe the most discipline I need is to not do a small deal, but it, you know, it's kind of hub and spoke if they can handle it. Like right now in um, Arizona, I've got a park under contract that's right next to another park that I know my manager, the onsite manager is doing a phenomenal job. And I know she's probably a little bored and she'd love to get a pay raise. So why not give her a pay raise, give her that other park on, on our revenue, it's not gonna move the needle, but will I be able to in the, increase the value of that park by 50% in the next five years? Yeah, no problem. So it still makes sense to do it. And I think, and I think the whole, you know, like that part of the team would be happy to do it. And, and that's kind of the feedback that we got. So I think I'm different in that case where I'm not like looking at, because because I'm not looking to create like a, the perfect portfolio. Sure. And that's like, like the perfect mobile home park is not, you know, when people like drive through a, a beautiful senior park and they're like, okay, I'm going to, I'll pay more for this. Okay. But you're just buying a bunch of problems because they don't have anything to do except for go to the office and complain. <laughs> you know? So, so the, the, the best, but also when, when the economy gets tough, that's the toughest park to sell homes in. So mm. even though it's a beautiful park, it's only seniors. So what you really want is you want an all-age park 
with with new single wides and old single wides. But you want everything nice, new single wide. But, but you can make it nice. You can put the money in, make so old, old single wides, new single wides, old double wides, new double wides, all age. Now you have a price point for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So what about the utilities? I mean, do you <laughs> do you get picky on utilities at all? Like in your perfect mobile home park, is that you know, uh, city utilities, obviously. I would say I'm more picky now. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm more picky now. We, we have tons of parks with well and septic um, okay. in probably one of the toughest states, you know, California. So, um, so you know, when I go out of state, I'm typically going bigger and I'm going less. Uh, less private, more public utilities. Private. Yeah. Wow. But, That's awesome. You, you know, think about it like this, like, the, like, the, like the, the perfect attorney is not the attorney that says there's risk. Don't do the deal. You know, like they would have a business mind. They would say there's risk and here's what the risk is worth. Mm. Right. Smart. So, yeah. so it's the same thing with the well and septic. You know, if you can figure out, yeah, if you can get a $2 million discount on a $500,000 problem, then you just made $1.5 million. And I like $1.5 million. Yeah. Yeah. I think most people would. Yeah. That's a great way to look at things. You know, tell me about the value add. I mean, a thousand homes on order, you know, would you say infill is still the toughest value add component and, you know, 25 homes a year per park. Is that a good average? You know, what type of boots on the ground personnel do you need to accomplish that? I think that infill is the easiest. Wow. Yeah. So, so if you can find a nice clean park with a bunch of vacancy and all you have to do is fill it up and supply and demand is totally on your side, then that's the, that's the fastest way to double the value of the park. And it's, it's kind of the easy, the other way is, you know, you raise rents and upset people. So, so you really have to take your time. Mm-hmm. Right. And then sure. the other way is passing through the utilities, installing water meters, mm. um, making sure everything is itemized, just like your house and my house. Um, but but the bringing homes in, that's why it's so important to have that dialed. And it's more about a lot of people, they're trying to save too much money hiring bad people, bad contractors. Have you had that issue? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, uh, yeah, I've, I've infilled and I think it's most of our parks are in the Midwest. So, I mean, we're, we're dealing with a, you know, more chuck in a truck type of contractor most often that, that has a side business that installs mobile homes and, and maybe has a toter truck. So I think it's just making sure we're following up and managing them appropriately so that we're getting what we're paying for. But yeah, we've, we've had bad experiences. So. Yeah. So where do you feel is the best opportunity right now? Would that be in infill? If we're talking about, you know, passive investing in mobile home parks, is it going after value add parks? Is that the, the, the lowest hanging fruit or is it developing new mobile home parks? What do you think is the, uh, the best investment opportunity? Well, I, I don't think developing new is, I think it's too tough. Okay. I, I mean, I, I look at it every once in a while because I, you know, if, if I get a slow day or something, but um, but that's not the, yeah, that's too tough. 
you know, I think you just have to be open and you gotta, you gotta just keep uh, looking at different deals. You know, they, they, uh, there's this saying that, um, oh, you make the most money on the deal you don't do. So have you heard that? I have. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that saying. I think it's stupid. <laughs> um, because think about, think about all the deals that you didn't do in mobile homes that you would have made money on. So let's say, let's say there's one of those deals and you lose all your money, hundred percent of your money, but then you did all those other deals. So the max you could have lost was hundred percent of your million dollars in the one deal. But if you did the, the nine other deals that you looked at that, you know, you should have done. What if you five X your money and just one of those deals? And then you just made decent money on the rest. So the biggest risk is not doing anything. It's just sitting there idle. You know, I think of money as, as uh, like, I don't care about it that much. I think about it as um, it's sitting on the counter underneath the heat lamp. You know, you're in the diner and they put the money up there and the heat <laughs> lamp is just cooking it and it's getting all nasty. And and the longer you sit it there, the more worthless it becomes. So you, so what you have to do is you have to look for a good, like a good enough deal. Like what's the best deal that you can find at the time? And, you know, because people are concerned about opportunity costs. If you find an amazing deal, Andrew, and you don't have the money because you just did a deal that you think is a base hit, because if you find a base hit deal, you should do the base hit deal. But if you're only looking for home run deals, and maybe you'll only find home run deals, but maybe it'll take you five years. But if you come to me and you say, hey, I found a home run deal, I want a partner, and then it's such a good deal, you just negotiate whatever deal you want with me, right? And you'll, because, because if you find a great deal, the money will be, you know, you can find the money. So, yeah. That's good. That's a really interesting perspective. I think I'm naturally just more cautious and like you know i was i was telling someone earlier today that like every mobile home park we've bought we've added like three to three to ten items to our due diligence checklist and yeah. like it just every single deal you know and we've we haven't done a hundred but we've done you know 33 and every deal we've like added a handful of things to our due diligence that we learned that like we didn't check and and you know so i would love to you know maybe hear about your processes and due diligence and Maybe some that's, mistakes you've made. That's good. And you should have all those, but you shouldn't, none of them should be, uh, none of them on their own should be a reason not to do the deal, but they should all come with a value of what you need because value matters. But like price that you pay today matters. That's why interest rates, inflation, recession, none of that matters. It's what you pay today for the part. That's interesting. So I wrote that down. Price that you pay today matters. And then I wrote down, you know, about your comment about the attorney, you know, here's the risk and here's what it's worth. So what do you, I mean, what do you project for like rent growth in, in some of these markets? How do you project that? Do you base it off of inflation? Do you base it off of apartment rents? I mean, how are you basing I look it? A lot of, I look a lot at, at apartment rents. I look a lot at apartment occupancies because, mm -hmm. you know, when you start looking at mobile home parks, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. That's what they've been owned for. 30, 40 years for the same people and they're doing $5 rent increases every year. It, it, so you got to look at occupancies. Um, I, I tend to take my time to get where I need to go because I, you know, make it up in turnover and on infill. 
-hmm. at the turnover rate. So, but I'll, I'll, I'll typically figure out what I think the, the true market rent is, and then I'll make sure that I'm there or just past there in year five. So, um, I mean, there's, uh, usually in mobile home parks, the true market rent is a lot higher, but, but you gotta, you, you know, yeah, turnover but incrementally, in, right? You, yeah. yeah, do it incrementally, not rip the bandaid yeah. off you, at you, one. Yeah, you got you got to think about uh, it's a partnership with you and the, the residents, so you don't want to ever put them in a bad situation. But you know, you got to get them to market. At um, uh, but if you can do it over three to five years, and then, then that's how you do it. Yeah, tell us about interest rates, cap rates. You know, what do you think they're going to look like? You know, as we move forward into this uncertain climate. I don't think about it that much. I get asked about it all the time. I don't think it's important. In all of my performance, we use a much higher interest rate on a refi and our projections, you know, so I might buy something for a four cap and project a, uh, and, and, and get like a four, 4% interest rate when I buy it, but then I'm projecting a six and a half percent refinance. But, hmm. you know, the only thing that matters is the debt service coverage ratio and you're in year uh, five. You know, can in other words, after I solve those five problems, can I get the 1.25 or 1.35 that the bank wants on the DSCR? So, if I can do that, then the deal works, and then I buy it. Um, so, but here's what I would want: I, I, I want as much volatility as possible. I want interest rates to go up high. I want you know, inflation doesn't hurt me, especially because I have rent control properties in multiple states. So. You know, I'd much rather pay a higher interest rate today and a lower price today sure, sure. than a lower interest rate and a higher price. That's sure. where it goes back to, you know, the, the price you pay today matters. That's a good point. Yeah, that's interesting. And that goes back to the finance people getting in the business because there are finance people doing real estate. Okay. And then mm -hmm. there's real estate people that need to understand finance. And that's the difference. So, and I'll even take that one step further in the business that you and I are in. We need to be mobile home dealers and most mobile home dealers never figured out the park stuff and got rich and got bankrupt. You know, I mean, it's horrible that, that how much money they made and how much money they lost and they never figured out the park side of the business. They just wanted that quick check, right? So if you understand the dealership side of the business and then you understand the real estate side of the business, then the finance but the problem is with those other people coming into the business they're finance people and then they get and then they get in the real estate but they don't know anything about the dealership side so for them they're tr they're making that i don't know if arbitrage is the right word or float or whatever but they're trying to so a lot of them can't do deals or a back down deals or ask for price reductions because the, of interest rates well they were if in, in the interest rate you know, I'm not planning on having that that loan for more than five years anyway, hopefully. So the, the, charge me seven and a half. I don't care today if I'm getting the if I'm getting something that has 50 vacancies and I think I can fill them and, you know, double the value of the park. Who cares? So yeah, it changes everything. Yeah. Wow. Hey, That's, by uh, the way, you're not going to let anyone watch this, right? No, just a few people. That's all. We don't, we, don't, we don't want anyone to know this type of stuff. Yeah, this we is top everyone, secret. We want everyone to stop buying. Stop. <laughs> don't buy anything. Interest rates are going to crush you. Yeah, mobile home uh, parks are terrible to manage. They're hard to manage. Recession. 
Yeah, if you're if you're uh, if you buy mobile home parks out there, I want you to before you go to bed every night, do a little mantra that just tell yourself that the um, uh, the recession is coming. Don't buy anything. Recession is cash is king. Cash is king, and just stay out of the market, <laughs> out of the mobile home park market. Yeah. Let me ask you this. This is one question I ask all my guests. What do you think are the most important things that passive investors, we're talking investors in your fund, what do you think they need to look out for and know, you know, before they invest into mobile home parks? Well, I don't think it's anything different. I, I think that the operator matters, you know, uh, you know, Buffett years ago, you know, used to travel around and, and actually visit with the managers, you know, before investing, you know, so when you have access to someone like you or someone like me, and they can come into the office and meet us and, and see the operation and stuff like that, I think that's important. But also, you know, you got to look at how they're compensated. You got to look at how, because if someone's collecting a 4% acquisition fee, a 1% asset management fee, and, and then the split's bigger, but the, but the problem is they're incentivized when they need money. I mean, I literally know a guy who's a really great guy to hang out with and talk to. Uh, but every time he needs to buy something, big ticket item for his personal life, he buys something, he buys a park or he sells a park because he just collects fees. You know, so it's not about the long, yeah, long-term, creating long-term value for, for everybody. So, um, but here's the, 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 the beauty of, of real estate investing is that it's, it is a very, so first of all, multifamily, whether it's apartments or mobile home parks are one of the most predictable, safest type of, type of real estate investing. And it, there's always going to be a, you know, recession, recovery, expansion, hyper supply. Once you get to affordable housing, like you're, you're doing good in all four cycles. So the investor really needs to, uh, uh, you know, if they understand that, and even if they don't, the, the great thing compared to like the stock market is they can't push a button so easy to sell. And that's a mm -hmm. good thing. Now, if you could make it the same thing for the syndicator, right? So because, because what happens is you end up making kind of go, you know, you, you end up making one X on your money or two X on your money instead of 10 X on your money. Right. Because, because the long compounded growth comes, you know, in this, in, in, a, in something where supply and demand is a hundred percent on your side, it's inevitable. Long compounded growth. Inevitable. That's what I just wrote down. I love that. You know, Keith, uh, Wasserman, I think is his name. Guy I follow on Twitter. Does that ring a bell at all? I think so. Yeah. You don't know him? Oh, well, they, uh, he, that's what he talks about on, on Twitter constantly is how the long, he does a bunch of apartment stuff. It's long compounded growth. You can't beat it, right? Like it's going to happen. So love that. Love that. Over the next five years, like give us your prediction, you know, what's going to happen in the market. What's going to happen with mobile home parks. Do you think there's any new tiny homes or any new, you know, new invention that's going to put mobile home parks out of business? No. To the last thing. Tiny homes have always been uh, a thing that people thought was cool with, you know, when I first started the business selling park models in uh, RV parks um, 20, more than 22 years ago. It's just not, um, uh, so yeah, I, I don't know what's gonna change in the business 
it's not going to be anything I'm going to be able to predict. Um, but I, you know, I think it's really just as simple as, as if you think, if you think that the government or someone's going to solve the, uh, affordable housing problem, then you shouldn't invest in mobile home parks. So, and if you think that there's probably no chance of that, then you're probably pretty safe investing in mobile home parks. So it's <laughs> a good way to look at it. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Um, well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show and, and dropping all these golden nuggets. What would be the best way for someone to get a hold of you if they would like to do so? Basically, if you go to our website, the boavitagroup.com, uh, capital B, capital D, the boavitagroup.com. Um, uh, you can also email me directly at Eli at, at the Boavita Group. Um, and uh, if you're interested in investing, uh, we get you set up with our uh, our Bovita 2022 fund presentation, and that'll answer a lot of questions. And then uh, you can actually hop on a Zoom call with me. So, um, uh, but yeah, we're we're pretty uh, we're pretty easy to find. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking time. I know you're at a a surf camp right now in Mexico, so really appreciate you taking the time to hop on here and, and join me for the podcast. Yeah, this is fun. I always like talking about mobile home parks. And, and when I go on these trips, I'm usually just surfing my butt off in the morning and then working most of the day. But it just so happens that I got kicked out of the water this morning because uh, I started seeing lightning and that scared me. So, yeah. uh, but but I I uh, caught a few, uh, few really good waves. I'm looking out the window here and, and seeing it's, it's starting to clean up. So I might, there might be an evening session in my-, uh, in my There you go. Here. Awesome, man. Well, thanks again for coming on and, uh, you know, really appreciate all the information. Uh, that's it for today, folks. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Would you like to see mobile home park value add projects in progress? If so, follow us on Instagram at Passive MHP Investing for photos and awesome videos from our recent mobile home park acquisitions. Once again, that's at Passive MHP Investing on Instagram. See you there.